Good morning, good friends, and welcome to worship on this third Sunday of Lent here at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. We're so glad that you have found your way to our sanctuary through Facebook Live or our Spotify podcast or our website. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Several announcements before we begin with worship. First of all, I'd like to extend a special welcome to visitors of uh, the McCordick family as this day we joyfully celebrate the baptism of Britta and Jason McCordick's son, Reed. His grandparents, Chris and Fred West, are in Florida, and his grandmother, Sue Carvelli, is, new, is in New York, and his uncle, uh, Kyle McCordick, and Lindsay Cohen are joining us as well. Thank you for being here with us and for sharing this special boy with our congregation. Today in worship, um, we're asking you to share your prayer concerns in our chat feed at any time during the service today so that we might know how to pray for you in the weeks to come. We are praying for our member Joe Caldwell this morning, who we know is at Novant Hospital and hopefully doing a little better um, than she was yesterday. She's stable, but we are praying for her. Immediately after worship, we will spend 15 minutes in a passing of the peace through Zoom. This is a casual place for us to drop in and say hello to our church family as we seek to stay connected during these long weeks and months. The link to this passing of the peace can be found in your weekly email or in the chat feed, I think, too. So please join us immediately after worship. Next Sunday at noon, we need you all to mark your calendars and plan on being with us in our annual congregational meeting that will be held on Zoom. We will share very exciting news and hopeful news for our congregation. A link will be sent to you this week in an email along with a note from me in our 2020 congregational report. We will be nominating a new class of elders. We will, we will be reviewing our congregational report as well as sharing news from the personnel group and important and hopeful plans for how we are going to begin to regather as a congregation. I know many of us are beginning to get COVID-19 vaccines, which is hopeful and joyful news for all of us. Please know that our COVID-19 task force is beginning to think about what that will mean for our congregation as we begin to look ahead towards Easter and creative ways for us to gather as a community again. You can mark your calendar for March 21st. That will be our first outdoor worship um, service of the spring at 5.30. Our very own Eli Winkenwerder and his bluegrass band is going to be here to help us launch that worship service, and it should be really exciting. We continue to hold Jackie and Joe Salinas in prayer as they grieve the loss of Jackie's mother, Ramona O'Neill, in Scotland, as well as Melanie and Frank Spencer on the death of Melanie's father and Selwyn member Bobby Davis. Bobby's memorial service will be hosted here at Selwyn on March 20th, which is a Saturday at 1 o'clock, and you are invited to attend through Facebook Live. Last but not least, we celebrate uh, with great joy the news of Campbell Theodore Malowski's arrival, born to members and parents TJ and Brandy on January 26th, and Elizabeth Ann Hassey, who is being called Elle, born to new member Laura Hassey, on February 25th. In life and death, we belong to God. Now let us prepare our hearts to worship that God.
Join me in the call to worship that is found printed in your bulletin. The season of Lent is the faithful journey to salvation. Salvation that is found beyond the cross in an empty tomb. We remember God has already saved us. God brought Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand to safety on the other side of the sea. We recognize that God is saving us now even in the wilderness or the chaotic waters of Lent, God's Spirit gathers and guides. As we turn toward Jerusalem, we repent, we pray, we fast. God will be near to inspire and encourage us along the way. Come, let us continue the journey of Lent. Let us follow Christ to the cross.
please join me in our call to confession that's adapted from Joel chapter 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. The Lord relents from sending calamity. Let us confess before God and one another. Far too often, God, we desire to look wise in the eyes of the world. We have not spoken truth with our hearts. We have said and done hurtful things to our friends. We have forgotten our true identity, wandering into ways that are not yours. We have lost the path of true worship, disheartened and distracted by everyday life. We have forgotten what true discipleship is. And because of this, you challenge us. Forgive and help us as we seek to become the people you have created and called us to be. People of justice, love, truth, humility, and yes, even foolishness. May we be fools for Christ, embracing our true identity, even in the face of the world's scorn and derision. Our God is a God of blessing. Our God is a God of love and justice, wisdom and truth. Living and loving in that spirit, we repent. Amen. Leader, or excuse me, friends, believe in the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. You all may be seated. The few of you who are here with us in the sanctuary, and it is my pleasure to invite Britta and Jason McCorduck, along with their son, Reed Wilson McCorduck, for the sacrament of baptism to this font. Their daughters, Reed and Greer, are here with us as well. And our assisting elder today is a longtime friend of Britta's and elder, Emily Kincaid. Hey, Reed. <laughs> it's with great joy that we gather here around this font. And all of you close friends who are with us in spirit, we're glad that you're here too. Baptism is a visible sign of God's invisible grace. It is here at this font where we are named, called, and marked by God's grace in Christ. We can do nothing to earn this grace, but it is by God's holy invitation that we share in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. In this baptism, you all are invited to remember your own baptisms, the day a congregation and God said yes on your behalf. You see, it is through the sacrament of baptism that we enter into a covenant with God, a covenant that God has established that nurtures and renews and sustains us for all of our days. Britta and Jason, in your three and a half years together, God has established and demonstrated endless grace and steadfast love a love that is full of surprises and joy. Your choice to bring Reed to this font, in this church, in the communion of these people, both here and through that screen, 
is an act of faithfulness and commitment and actually gratitude to God for all that God has done for your family. Your choice to say yes on behalf of Reed is a sign of how you already rely on God. God's yes is louder than all the other no's you may have heard. And Reed is an expression of God's trust in you to raise him. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of these baptismal waters, you too are worthy. By the love of God through this church, you are never alone. And now, putting your whole trust in the grace and love of Jesus Christ, do you desire to have Reed baptized? Will you be responsible for nurturing Reed in the faith and life of a Christian community? Will you, by your prayers and witness, help Reed grow into the full stature of Christ? Do you, the people of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church, promise to share with Reed Wilson Laporta the good news of the gospel and to help him know the peace and joy and cost of Christian discipleship? We will. We will. And God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and sitteth on heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. God of all creation, every day we journey on this earth is a day in which we make choices, left or right, up or down, in or out, yes or no. Some choices are simple and some are very complex, but one choice informs all the others. Who will be our God? Who will we trust to see us through this journey? Who has been at our side when the road has been smooth and gently curving? Who has kept us through harpen tours in construction zones and potholes in detours? Only one, holy one. We bow to you in faithfulness because you are faithful. We devote ourselves to you by renewing the covenant the promise you made to humanity so long ago, because you are our God, we will be your people. We pray for Jason and Britta and give thanks for their witness to you, their patience and their tenacity. Continue to guide their feet and give them moments of rest and joy that will sustain them along the way. We give thanks for Reed for his bold personality and sweet spirit. Enlarge our faithfulness, trust, commitment, and love so that we may graciously uphold our side of the deal. 
Help us to be faithful and committed to loving this child, Reed, and all children who are in our community and in our presence. And now we ask that you set these waters apart so that what is common is now inspired by your Holy Spirit, that these waters be redemptive and renewing, and we wash Reed in the love that is unmatched and above all, the grace-filled love of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Reed, it's time, buddy. <laughs> Reed Wilson McCordett, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. Hey, Reed, welcome to the family. For this child, Christ was born. For this child, Christ taught. <laughs> he prayed, he healed. He preached. For this child, Christ suffered on a cross and died and was buried. Reed knows nothing about any of that. He just knows that he is loved. And in this covenant with this water, he dies with Christ so that he might live. Reed, Reed is a vivacious, bright, loving child. He entered a family who was unexpecting and surprised by his arrival. And he has changed everything. He has two loving sisters who he adores. He has taught them how to be patient, how to make room in their house, how to share things they might not want to share. And he has forever expanded their hearts. He has parents who hoped for him and prayed for him and worked for him. And Britta will tell you that it has changed her perspective, and Jason will tell you it has changed his perspective in ways that they could not have imagined. Britta has the wisdom to let him have a tantrum or two. Jason has the tenacity to work the night shift. But they're a great team. He's also changed their perspective on God. What does it mean that God would entrust them to raise and to love and to care for this child. It means everything. And what does it mean for us, Selwyn, that Reed is dipping his hands in this water and baptizing himself? <laughs> it means that we are called to teach him what this act means, that we should let him run up and down the aisles and wiggle in our pews and teach him the ways of Christ, not by what we expect of him, but how we might embrace him and know him and love him. This is Reed Wilson McCordick. He is a child of Jason and Britta McCordick. He is a brother to Greer and Reagan. And he is a child of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church and a child of God. Reed Wilson McCordick is now identified as a child of God in Christ Church. Through baptism, God has put his seal upon Reed to share with us all the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. Let us be supportive of Jason and Britta as they nurture Reed and assist him to be a faithful disciple. With, With joy, joy and thanksgiving, we welcome Reed into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, to share the good news of God's love with you, 
and to celebrate with you God's unfolding blessings. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, as we continue our preaching series, Walking with Mark through the Gospel of Mark, we find Jesus and his disciples at a place of turning, a fulcrum of sorts. Their backs, they face Galilee and all the many days and months they've spent together, walking the paths from village to village, crossing the sea from cove to cove. And on this third Sunday in Lent, we find that Jesus has his sights set on Jerusalem. You may read along in your Bible. It's Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Listen for the word of the Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But do, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowds with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. 
For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, one look at Caesar of Philippi, and you knew it was a place of power. Crystal white marble pillars, grottos of still translucent water, cool caverns, lush and fertile mountain ridges nestled in the foothills of the massive 9,000-foot peak of Mount Hermon, the source of spring water that gushed toward the Jordan River from a deep limestone cave within the city walls. Century upon century of superpowers and super gods, power brokers. At one point or another, any emperor or dictator that was worth his weight in gold put a mark in this place. Alexander the Great named the city after a goat-footed god of desolation named Pan, as in Panic. And then he erected the Temple of Zeus. There were caves dedicated to Pan. There were monuments for Pan, a temple for Zeus, a court for Nemesis, grottos for the nymphs, where I suppose Hugh Hefner got his idea. The ancient Canaanites came along and added sanctuaries on behalf of the gods of Baal. Eventually, the Romans added a jaw-dropping temple in honor of Caesar Augustus. And now Herod is using this place as the administrative hub for his entire operation. One cave even held a pool of water so majestic and deep it was considered the threshold to the underworld, literally the gates to hell, where the gods of fertility retreated each winter until they and the waters within the cave would spring forth each spring. All those idols, all that marble and grandeur, all that history, all those other gods, all that worldly power in one place. In Star Wars, it's Corsican. In the Hunger Games, it's the capital. In Superman, it's the metropolis. It's Las Vegas, New York City, Washington, D.C., and the Napa Valley all rolled into one. As Lamello Ball might say, it was the gateway to Galilee. This Lenten season, we've been walking with Jesus around the dusty roads of Galilee for weeks, village to village, cove to cove, and now he's marched us 25 miles away to the edge of our biblical map. Why? Because the disciples didn't know what they didn't know. Over and over again, day in, day out, miracle after miracle, healing, teaching, preaching, praying, saving, Jesus has been doing the same thing he'd always done and expecting a different response than the one he'd gotten so far. They'd been listening, but they couldn't hear. They'd been watching, but they couldn't see. Evidently, if you want to have access to the kingdom of God, if you want to experience the power of Jesus, 
if you are praying and preparing and waiting for a new life, it seems you have to change your point of view. And of course, of course, of course it was Peter who finally has the aha moment, risk-taking Peter, who dropped his nets full of fish and left the security of his vocation, trusting Peter, who, in Matthew's gospel at least, stepped out of the boat and walked on water with his eyes fixed on Jesus, bold and hopeful Peter, so quick to assume the best and proclaim the truth. Peter's confession affirms what we already know. Faith seeks understanding. As John Calvin writes, the way to the kingdom of God is open only to those whose minds have been made new by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says, ah, I get it now. I know I can feel it in my bones. You, Jesus, you, you're the Messiah. I was blind, but now I see. And just to be clear, this is not about Peter's GPA or what college he got into. It's not about his capacity or his commitment or his tenacity. It's not about his good intentions or his ability. It's not about his age or his gender or who his father was or his ethnicity. And I promise you it's really not about his voting record either. You see, Peter may be woke to Jesus, but clearly this aha moment has absolutely nothing to do with his qualifications. You see, Peter, he's a hot-headed, bull-headed, pig-headed kind of guy. And if you hadn't noticed, he's a know-it-all who takes it upon himself to always have the first word. But in this moment, by no volition of his own, the light bulb finally clicks. Impulsive, unpredictable, temperamental, loudmouth, opinionated, ambitious Peter. He gets it. You, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the new king, the king of David and Israel, the one we've been waiting for. God's reign, the power of God's kingdom is coming near, and Peter is ready. He's ready for a revolution, a change, an overhaul. Aren't we all ready for an overhaul? And right here at the pinnacle of Peter's confession and realization and proclamation, Peter's aha quickly turns into a, oh no. You see, Peter, if you want access to God's kingdom, if you want to catch a glimpse of God's power in Christ Jesus, if you want a new life, Peter, well, you got to change your point of view, brother. Jesus reveals the truth, suffering, rejection, murder, resurrection, but when Jesus whispers the plan, in that one suspended moment in time, Peter, who'd been committed and given up everything, who finally had the whole thing figured out, wants none of it. You see, nowhere, nowhere in the world, not in Greece, not in Rome, not in Israel, not in Caesarea Philippi, had anyone mentioned a king that would fail and die. Wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, yes. Nowhere in the ancient books had the disciples read about a Messiah who would be humiliated and murdered. I mean, Isaiah mentions suffering a little bit. 
But Jesus, Jesus has left this part out. The disciples, they'd been duped. Peter refused to believe any of it. Instead, fast-talking Peter says what we might all say. Who doesn't reject the news of a loved one's pending death? Who doesn't take matters into their own hands when all the plans we'd made didn't work out? Doctor, I refuse to believe you. You go back and look at those results again. You said you were going to cure her. A cross? Jesus, what are you talking about? A cross? I refuse to believe it, Jesus. You stop talking like that. We'll just find our way around it. We can send someone else to take the heat, a peasant, a criminal, a scapegoat. We'll fight back. We'll protest. We've got a strategic plan for this, Jesus. We're going to adjust our message and expand our reach. We're going to build more, more power, more energy, more money. We've got a task force, Jesus. Don't worry, Jesus. We've got this. But there's this one thing, Jesus. If you can just tone it down a little bit, you could avoid the cross altogether. And right there, in that one moment, instead of thine is the kingdom and thine is the power and thine is the glory, Peter may as well have been saying, mine is the kingdom and mine is the power and mine is the glory. Nobody said anything about a Messiah that dies. I mean, he knows Jesus is the real Messiah. But Peter wants some real power. Power broker, powerhouse, superpower, Katniss, Luke Skywalker, Superman, all rolled up in one. Who's ready to pursue a kingdom with gates that rest on the other side of a cross? You see, if we want access to God's kingdom, if we want to catch a glimpse of God's power in Jesus Christ, if we want new life, it seems, well, we got to change our point of view. The gateway to salvation, it's not in Caesarea, with all of its opulent marble and affluence. Nope. It's straight through Jerusalem and across. People say the disciples couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Some scholars suggest they were blind to the reality of Jesus' plight. Maybe. I don't really buy that. All this time they'd been with Jesus. They'd seen it all. Peter's mom had been healed from a fever. Jairus' daughter, the hemorrhaging woman, the storms. 5,000 were fed and more. The withered hand, the blind man, the mute man, the deaf man. The demon-possessed man. Disciples knew Jesus had power. And now Peter understood why. Peter wasn't stupid. He just got in his own way. He was in disbelief. He was in denial. They were afraid and disappointed and disillusioned because they couldn't study or negotiate or fight or protest or plan or control their way out of this one. The only way to access the kingdom of heaven is through the cross. The implications of Jesus' death and the subsequent resurrection would have been incomprehensible for any of us. We know how the story ends, and we still don't believe it. 
For so long, we've been following Jesus. Sunday school and Bible study, worship and mission offerings and confirmation and trips and mission work and praying and living together. And for the last 12 months, Jesus has been turning everything we thought we knew about what it means to rely on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on its head. You want true freedom? You want happiness and joy? You want something to change in your relationships or in your life? You want access? You want peace? You want power? Well, you got to look down there at Caesarea Philippi and all of its splendor and power. All those gates, all those fancy sanctuaries and monuments and temples, they mean nothing. And then turn your head to the south, toward the horizon in Jerusalem, and Jesus will show you what transcendent love looks like. Yes, the cross is the threshold to salvation, your freedom and salvation and liberation. It is the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. The manifestation of heavenly glory is near. But also, we better watch out because we cannot spiritualize the cross, which was a tool for murder, to the point that it loses its significance in this broken, messy world of ours. As William Plattner writes, the cross of Calvary was the political, logical result of a moral clash with the powers ruling society. If Jesus' power and authority had not been so threatening to the oppressive Roman regime, if his message of justice and peace and compassion for all people on earth had not been so offensive to the religious gatekeepers, he wouldn't have ended up suffering on the cross. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Jesus could have still been the Messiah. God would have still achieved our salvation some other way. Can you imagine giving instead of hoarding? Can you imagine liberating instead of incarcerating? Can you imagine forgiving instead of judging? Can you imagine assuming the best instead of living into the worst? Can you imagine a world that does not choose to expel or judge or blame or hoard or lynch or shoot? Can you imagine a world that doesn't choose to hang an innocent man on a cross? Risking that particular kind of suffering is not a form of accepting oppression. It is a way of challenging it. God's reign, God's kingdom, God's salvation and hope, it's right here, right now, for you and for the world in this moment. And if we want to proclaim the gospel with that sort of passion and courage and integrity, if we want to have access to God's kingdom, if we want to experience the power of Jesus, if we are praying and preparing and waiting for a new life, well, then we need to change our point of view. It's time to put our Sunday pajamas away, lace up our walking boots, and take up our cross. Amen.
As we now enter into a time of prayer, I invite you to respond. After I say, let us pray to the Lord, you respond with, Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Most loving God, we know that you are creator of all good things. Be with us this day as we continue to move into the unknown. Be our steady companion and our guide. Help us to rejoice and be glad and help us to do that rejoicing. We know that it is a privilege to be alive today, to have the opportunity to continue to live into being the people that you call us to be. We pray for peace of our world and for unity of all peoples. Let us pray to the Lord, Lord, Lord have mercy. Holy God, you were once called the great physician, and so we pray for those who are ill among us. We pray for the health of all our communities and for those caring for our loved ones. Bring your healing grace to all those who are suffering. We continue to pray for those battling COVID-19 and for all those who care for them. This week we ask, oh God, that you be with our teachers and our schools and our children as they navigate hybrid learning environments. Keep them healthy and remind them that there's no perfect way to navigate transition. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. For the good of the earth which God has given us and for the wisdom and will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. God of compassion, we pray for the weak, the poor, the vulnerable among us who are most adversely affected by the policies that we make as a state and nation. Protect them with your power and send us forth as your people, not only to care for them, but also to advocate on their behalf. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. For all who have died in the hope of the resurrection and for all the departed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. God of the Sabbath, you created a world with a natural rhythm of work and rest. So we pray for all those who work and labor among us, that they would be treated with dignity and offered opportunity to find rest and Sabbath in the midst of their labors. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For deliverance from all, dang from all danger, violence, and oppression, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. God of love, give us hope for tomorrow and strength for today. Be with us when the way before us seem closed or when we don't know what the next steps we should take are. Lighten our darkness and let us walk beside you with trust. We ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, during this Lenten season, we are called to remember the true cost of discipleship. And so as we enter into this time of offering, let us with hope return to God the gifts of the earth and the offerings of our lives so that they might be used to bring abundant life to others. Our text to give instructions will be placed in the chat this morning. 
but our number is 704-734-9818. Come, let us return our gifts to God.
now dedicate our gifts to God. Let us pray. Great and generous God, our lives are surrounded by things that steal our lives, inflict and destroy us. The tithes and offerings we share with you keep us focused not on the things that will renew our humanity, hope, love, compassion, and empathy. As we look ahead, we see the true cost of discipleship, a Savior on a cross leading to eternal life. In the holy name of Jesus, the Messiah, we dedicate our time, talents, and treasure for the exhibition of your kingdom on earth. Amen. Friends, it is time to take up your cross, and together we will make our way to Jerusalem by following Jesus, so that as we die to sin, we might also live to new life, resurrection, hope, and joy. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.